Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Last Lord's Day evening, we listened to our Lord Jesus Christ ask his Father on our behalf. That he asked the Father to guard us from Satan and all of his devices. And we heard that he was asking confidently. He knows his Father will guard those that his Father has given him that were his Father's before he gave them or us to them. And we learned that our Father does indeed guard or keep us by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. Now, this evening we're going to continue listening to our Lord Jesus Christ confidently ask his Father to sanctify us in the world. So if you would follow along as I begin reading with verse 13 down through verse 20. Jesus continues to pray and he says, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sake... I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. In verses 13 through 18, eight times in six verses, Jesus uses the word world. He refers to the world. Eight times in six verses. Do you suppose he's making a point? He's making crystal clear the distinction between the world and his disciples. Hmm. And as you know, the word world can have different meanings in the New Testament depending on the context. Three of them that I thought of was, first of all, it can mean the planet Earth. In Ephesians 1, we hear... Paul writing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And he's talking about the planet Earth there. And then in chapter 17 here, look at verse 13. Jesus says that, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world. He's talking about on earth and down in verse 15 he uses it the same way i do not ask you to take them out of the world or take them off earth it also can refer to humanity on the earth in john chapter 12 verse 19 pharisees are freaking out they are beside themselves they're apoplectic Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry and the whole city's turned out and singing his praises and screaming out to him, save us, save us from the Romans. 
And they say, see, you are accomplishing nothing. The whole world has gone out after him. Talking about all the people. But the way that Jesus is using the word six out of the eight times in these verses is referring to the present evil system of things that was ushered in by Adam's sin. Look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, where we see the contrast of the world with Christ's disciples. First John 2, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. You see that contrast between those who do the will of God and the world. That the world is the spirit of hostility toward God. And all mankind, all unredeemed mankind, lives in and breathes in and pursues the world. This spirit is generated by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Lost men love the world. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 says, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Literally, the whole world is stretched out and reclining in the power of the evil one. Lost people, the world, are comfortable in the world. They're comfortable with the influences and the desires and the plans of Satan. Jesus is making it clear that those who belong to him are no longer part of the system. They're no longer part of this world system. They have a new allegiance. Those who belong to him, they have pledged allegiance once and for all to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to the world system that they formally pledged allegiance to. The system that hates him. So, the Lord Jesus asked the Father to sanctify his disciples in verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now you know what sanctify means. It has the same meaning essentially as to make holy. Because sanctify, holy, both have the same root, hagia, in Greek. And it means to be separated. To set apart. I had a really great proof text that didn't pay out. Because I looked it up and the word was different. But you remember in Matthew chapter 25... Where the Lord Jesus talks about when he returns, he will separate his sheep from the goats. And I thought, what a beautiful picture, but it's a different Greek word, so we can't use that tonight. But anyway, to sanctify means to set apart, it means to separate. Now, in the Bible, to sanctify means to set apart or to separate from the world and to set apart for God. So it's got a double edge to it there. And Jesus is saying, sanctify my disciples. Sanctify these 11. 
And in verse 20, he's going to say, and everyone who believes through them. See, when God sanctifies, when God sets apart, in the Bible it's always something or someone for himself. He'll sanctify things and he sanctifies people. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was sanctified to Yahweh. It was holy to Yahweh. You didn't spend the night in the tabernacle. It's not where you're going to live. This is where God lives. It's set apart for him and for his glory and for his use. The furniture in the tabernacle was holy unto Yahweh. It was sanctified, set apart for him. The table of showbread, where God's bread was, your family didn't come in and set out your supper on the table of showbread. No, that's his table. The lampstand, the golden lampstand that was in front of the curtain. You didn't use that lampstand in your tent to give you light at night. No, it was God's light. It was for God's purpose. It was to show the way into God's presence. And Israel. Israel was sanctified unto the Lord as a nation. They were set apart by him from every other nation on the face of the earth. Set apart by him, for him. So that they would worship him. He set them apart for his glory, for his good pleasure, for his protection, and for his special blessings. I mean, I, when I read the promises that God made to Israel right, right after Sinai, that if you will keep my law, if you will worship me, if you will stay faithful to me, it's amazing what he promised them. In, in essence, you're going to be the tip of the whole world. This little nation, this little piece of land between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea is going to be the envy of the whole world. And when your enemies come to conquer you because of all the stuff I give you, they won't be able to touch you. One of you will chase a thousand. I mean, we, we see this with the Assyrians in First Kings where they, they come to lay siege to Jerusalem 185,000 dropped dead in one night nobody could touch them mm. they were set apart by him for him in the New Testament Jesus disciples which would be all of us who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are set apart from all other people on the earth for his father's worship for his father's glory for his father's good, uh, good pleasure and for special blessing we're going to get into that in just a few minutes so I have a list of questions tonight this is going to be answering several questions as I read through this passage uh, I complained to Pastor Bob about how much I love John 17 and how hard it is to preach it because it just seems like things are coming into the Lord Jesus' mind as, as he's talking to his disciples. As he's praying to the Father that things are coming into his mind and he just starts addressing one thing after another. It's not like a nice, sweet, orderly narrative. So tonight, the only way I, I know how to deal with this, because it's the only way I know how to deal with it, is to answer some questions that come up to me as I read through here. So the first question is, how is it 
that God the Father sanctifies us and sets us apart for the triune God. And the answer is so obvious. You already know it. It's verse 17. Sanctify them, set them apart for you by the truth. Your word is truth. God's own words are the primary instrument he uses to sanctify us. God's own words that we find in 66 books of the Old Testament and the New Testament. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is given by inspiration. I like it better. All scripture is given by expiration. The word is theonoustos, breathed out. God breathes out this word. All scripture, all 66 books have been given by expiration of God and are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, yeah, for correction after he reproves us, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be made complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. And the word there, man, is anthropos, which is the, the Christian may be made complete, thoroughly prepared for every good work. This is how God sets us apart. Now, here in particular, Jesus is talking about the words that he spoke, the words that he taught, that are his Father's words. Look at verse 14. I have given them your word. Look at verse 8. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. We dealt with this before in chapter 12 and verse 49, where Jesus said, I'm just speaking my father's words. What did Jesus teach? He taught his father's words. What were the disciples hearing? What were the crowds hearing? They were hearing the words of God the Father through the mouth of God the Son incarnate. That's what's going on here. And out of his son's mouth, Yahweh the Father is testifying to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. This is how he sanctifies us. He testifies that his son is the unique, true son of God. The son of God. He is the eternal son of God. He is God the son. He is Yahweh himself with men. He is Emmanuel. The one we've been looking for. And Yahweh the Father through the mouth of his son, the Lord Jesus, is testifying to what his son has come to do. To forgive men's sins. We talked about this last week. The paralytic. The immoral woman. And the Lord Jesus had authority to forgive their sins. That's what he's come to do. To save us from the wrath that our sins deserve and to restore us to sweet fellowship with God. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. To give those who he has saved eternal life. I love John 640. It doesn't impress God that I love a part of his word, but I love John 640. And that is, this is the will of my Father who has sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. In John 10.10, 10, 
The thief comes but to kill and to steal and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. That's what Jesus has come to do. To forgive our sins. To restore us to fellowship with the Father. To save us from the wrath of the Father that our sins deserve. And to give us eternal life. And he will accomplish all of that by sacrificing himself in our place. In Mark 10, the Lord Jesus says, The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then he raises himself from the dead to prove that he's accomplished what God the Father sent him to earth to accomplish. So, the eleven are hearing his word. The eleven heard his word. The words coming out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus. And the eleven believed his words. They believed he could forgive their sins. They believed he could give them eternal life. And because what they heard was the Father's word, they realized this is true. And they trusted him. They trusted the Lord Jesus as their Lord. They trusted him as Emmanuel. Now, we heard his word. When we heard the Lord Jesus speaking, we heard God the Father speaking with him. And when we heard his word in due time, at the right time, we realized this is true. And we believed it. And we received him as Lord. Hmm. And as a result of that, as Ezekiel 36 tells us, the Holy Spirit gave us a new heart. The Holy Spirit gave us a new spirit. And we realize we've been changed. Now for those of us that were saved as adults or older teenagers, or maybe even younger teenagers, that was a startling thing to realize we'd been changed. We had been sovereignly changed. And we hadn't done it. We hadn't even been asked if it could be done to us. We no longer panted after what the world pants after. Oh, we now were after 2 Corinthians 5.8. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. I can remember the shock. Driving home from... A weekend in Raleigh, driving back up to, to Asheville. And the thought came through my mind. And, and it, it startled me. What's wrong with wanting to do what's right? Now you have to be really deep in sin to think that doing things because they're right is foolish. You do things because they feel good. You do things because you want to do it. You look after you. You take care of you. But this talk, and that was, the, that was part of the beginning of the Holy Spirit drawing me to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can remember, even before I was converted, when, and someday when we're having a steak, we'll sit down and we'll, I'll talk to you about my conversion, but how he did it to me. But I, I can remember that 
suddenly there was this desire to know God. I mean, where is this coming from? You see, even before I was converted, he began changing me. That's part of effectual call. And so, after we're converted, our goals have been changed. Our ambitions have been changed. Even our desires have been changed. What we used to love, we hate. What we used to hate, we love. And we can't figure out what's going on. Our desire is even changed to the point that once we've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, because we believe the word, we believe what he said, we believe what the Father is saying through him, we actually wanted to know more. We wanted to go to church. Now, that messed my mind up as much as it messed up all my friends. You know, what are you doing? I want to go and hear. Now, this is bad, but I didn't care about all of what I call the preliminaries. You know, it, it was a typical Southern Baptist church. And so you, you had all, all the, you know, you had the hymns, the standard hymns, and you had the obligatory prayers. Sometimes prayed without any feeling whatsoever. Uh, and, and all of that. And then you would have sometimes the special music. Uh, but I was there for the word. Because when Lester Creighton stood up to preach, he preached with authority out of the word of God. And this was, it was drawing me in. And I actually wanted to be involved in Bible study. I wanted to know more because I knew that it was in this book was the only place that I could find the word of God. My allegiance had been changed. Christ is my master. We sang a hymn this morning, I am his and he is mine. Uh, that might be a nice hymn, but the main thing is I am his. And because our allegiance has changed, the world won't tolerate that. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are no longer of the world see the world recognizes verse 16 says they are not of the world even as I am not of the world the world realizes we've been changed we didn't change ourselves we didn't get religion they've seen that before and they, it stinks in their nostrils but they saw that we've been changed this is from the outside and it's changing us from the inside and so to them we become strangers. We become aliens. 1 Peter 4.4 4 says they are surprised that you no longer run with them into the same excesses of riotous living. They can't figure out why don't you want to get stoned anymore? Why don't you want to trip anymore? Why uh, you know, she is really interested in you, and you, if you know what I mean. Why aren't you taking advantage of that? Why don't you want to do the things we enjoyed doing? It's because we no longer run with them into the same excesses of riotous living. We don't even want to do it. Now our flesh wants to do it. But our new man doesn't want to do it. You see, I love the way the Bible says it there. You no longer run with them. That's the picture of a pack of dogs. 
And the dogs, you know what dogs do when they become a pack. They get in garbage. And they tear up, they drag garbage all over the place. And they find a weak dog and they beat it up or, the, or tear it up or kill it. And they, a pack of dogs is, is just evil. I mean, they're, they're going to be trouble wherever they go. That's the way we used to be. We ran with the pack. But when it pleased God to change us, you no longer want to run with the pack. He has set you apart from the pack for himself, and they can't stand it. Who do you think you are? You've gotten all holier than thou. You think you're better than us. They don't understand any of it. All they know is you've been changed. You've been changed for God. You want God, and that's the last thing they want. Because they're the world. They're hostile to God. Now, all of this happened at conversion. When we trusted Christ to save us and to show us the way to live, this new spirit that he put in us, the Holy Spirit, set us apart. Separated us from the world for him. We no longer belong to Satan and his system. We now belong to him. So, question number two. Well, why is it if this happened at conversion that the Lord Jesus asked the Father in verse 17 to sanctify them? And the reason for that is that sanctification is not static. It's like birth. When a baby's born, it's a whole human being. Everything's there to make it a human being. But it's not a mature human being. It's not everything that normally we expect a human being to become. The baby has to grow. Once we've been justified by faith, once we are a new creation in Christ, once God has set us apart for himself, we have to grow in this new life of being set apart for God. Because the old you is dead. The old nature is dead. When you are converted, the moment you are converted, somebody came into existence that had never existed before. That's the new you. You had just been born again with a new heart, with a new mind, with a new spirit. And so, 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now that you're his, grow. So we have another question. How do I grow? How do I live this new life set apart for God? I know I have to grow in understanding. I know I have to grow in doing what pleases our Lord. My desire has been changed. But what do I need to change about my thinking? And what do I need to change about my behavior in order to please him? All my life I've been trained to please the world. All my life I've been trained to please me. So how do I grow? Well, you're back to verse 17. Your word is what sanctifies us. And Romans 12 makes this a little bit plainer. A whole lot plainer than I can make it. 
Romans 12, 1 through 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Hmm. That's how we grow. You see, we present ourselves to God willfully because we're holy. He's made us holy. He has set us apart. And so we stop being conformed to this world. We don't want to be conformed to this present evil system of things in anything. And he says... But be transformed. Be made more sanctified by the renewing of your mind. Now, how do we renew our mind or our thinking? We're back to verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And we're back to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Yeah, it's really simple. What we do is we learn what God says is his way. We learn what God says pleases him. That's out of the scripture. And then we do what we know. Isaiah 30. This is the way. Walk in it. The scripture shows us the way. God teaches us the way out of his own word and then we do it. But before we can do it, before we can desire it, we have to be justified. We have to be set apart. We have to be made new. Our sins must be removed. Our guilt must be punished. And so that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about in verse 19. He says, for their sake, on their behalf, I consecrate, or I, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus says, for their sake, in their behalf, I sanctify myself. Literally, I consecrate myself to do that for us. I sanctify myself. I set myself apart. I set myself to pay the penalty for their sins, to cleanse them from their sins, so that they may be sanctified. Until we're cleansed, until we're forgiven, we can't be set apart for God because he is of purer eyes to look on what we are before. He's not going to take us just as we are, sinful, wicked, part of the world, and adopt that. No. We have to be changed. So, the Lord Jesus Christ consecrated himself to take all of God's wrath for our guilt in our behalf. 
the Lord Jesus Christ consecrated himself to take away our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. To be wounded for our transgressions. To be crushed for our iniquities. To be chastised for our peace. So that he could heal us by the stripes he would take in our behalf. In other words, what he said back in verse 4 of this chapter. To finish the work that God the Father had given him. In six hideous hours on the cross. He does that. He did finish the work that God the Father had given him to do. He did take away our sins as far as the east is from the west. He did rise from the dead. He did show himself to over 500 at one time. He did ascend to the Father's throne and take his place in his throne. And he did send his Holy Spirit to convict us, to open our eyes to the gospel, to give us faith, to believe in him, and to make us new creations. And the Holy Spirit separated us from the world the Holy Spirit set us apart for God the Holy Spirit gave us the new heart gave us the new spirit gave us the new mind the Holy Spirit reconciled us to the Father and the Holy Spirit enabled us now that our sins have been removed by the Lord Jesus our sins have been cleansed by the Lord Jesus we have been made clean by the Lord Jesus and now we've been transformed we've been changed by the Holy Spirit now we were adopted by the Father new creations in Christ mm. well if that happened why are we still here If we've been adopted, if we've been cleansed, if we've been set apart for God, why are we still here? Well, the answer is in verse 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. We're still here because the Lord Jesus Christ asked for us to still be here. See, the 11 weren't all that had been given to him. The 120 in the upper room after, at Pentecost weren't all that had been given to him. The 500 that saw him at one time before he ascended into heaven weren't all that had been given to him. No, millions more had been given to him that hadn't even been born yet. Tens of thousands had been given to him that were still living on the face of the earth that hadn't heard the gospel yet. They had been given to him even though they were yet to hear and believe it. And so the Lord Jesus in verse 20 says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Not just these 11. Not just these 120. Not just these 500. But for those also who believe in me through their word. So why were the 11 left? To make disciples of all the nations. Of all those who believe in the Lord Jesus. Through their word. You see I'm so glad that this verse is here. Because if he had just taken them. I'd go to hell. Because I never would have heard the gospel. And he wouldn't have died for me. If he only died for them. We have been left here. So that all those who have been given to the Son in this generation will hear the gospel through us. Will believe what they hear. 
of God's word that was recorded in the scriptures. And believing in the Lord Jesus Christ will be justified and sanctified, set apart for him. Now, there's one last point. And I didn't know where to put this in, so I stick it in at the end. One last point. In the upper room, the whole time, from the time that Jesus washed the disciples' feet, when Judas was still present, until now, while he's praying and Judas is absent, and there's just the 11. There has been this dark, painful anticipation that's been hanging over that upper room and hanging over that little group. Look at verse 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Go back to chapter 15. Well, excuse me, chapter 16, verses 2 and 3. They will put you out of the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they did not know the Father or me. Go back to verse 15, chapter 15, rather. Verse 18. If the world hates you, and it does, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you. They will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. The dark cloud, the, the dark, painful realization in that upper room is that the world hates us. The world hated them. They hated them just like they hated the Lord Jesus himself. And the world hates us. So how can Jesus say what he says in verse 13? This is my last point. This is what I couldn't figure it, couldn't fit in. But now I come to you, Father. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. But the world hates us. The world thinks us fools. The world thinks we've changed from being their friends to being holier than thou. And looking down on them and thinking we're better than they are. That's what the world thinks about us. Now it's all a lie. But that's what they believe. That's what they think. And today, among the so-called cultural elites in America and Washington and Raleigh, they think we're dangerous. They hate us. And they see us as a public health, mental health danger to American citizens. We're going to have to be dealt with. Mm. So how can you say I want them to have my joy made full in themselves when the world hates us? Better. How can Jesus say 
I want them to have my joy made full in themselves. I mean, he knows what's going to happen. He's about to be arrested in just a few hours before dawn. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be slapped. He's going to be a blasphemed. The very God who made these Jewish leaders, they're going to spit on him. They're going to slap him. They're going to beat him. They're going to blaspheme him. And then they're going to drag him to Pilate to have him murdered. To have him legally murdered. But not just executed. Not a nice swift slice of the sword. No, to have him crucified. To finally have our revenge on this man. Who's made our life so miserable. And for six hours. He is going to absorb and drink dry. All of Father's wrath. For all of our sins. All those millions that have been given to him. He's going to exhaust the Father's wrath so that there will be none left for the elect. And he can talk about joy? Well, we better find out what this word joy means because it apparently doesn't mean what we think it means. He's certainly not happy. They're certainly not happy. So what's the definition of this joy that he's talking about? It's a settled contentment in God's goodness and sovereignty. That's joy. It's not happiness. It's not feeling good. It's that deep to the pit of your soul contentment in God's goodness expressed in his sovereignty. It lives in Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 30. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, obviously, all things aren't good. Otherwise, that verse means nothing. It's just redundant. But the all things are what's about to happen to Jesus. The all things is the world hating them. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. These he ju- and whom he justified, these he also glorified. And see, it lives there. Joy lives in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Jesus' joy was that he knew he was his father's beloved son. The son in whom the father himself, one of the few places that the father speaks audibly, said twice, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He knew that he had glorified the father on earth. He knew that he had finished the work which the father had given him to do. Jesus' joy was knowing who his father is, who he is, and the delight of pleasing him. Now that's our joy, isn't it? That's going to be the disciples' joy. The eleven. They're going to realize who they are. Who Jesus is. And who their father is. 
they're going to know the delight of pleasing their father. Now you think about it. Whenever you speak for the Lord Jesus Christ, work, neighbors, family, whoever, whenever you speak for the Lord Jesus Christ and you're telling them the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, there is joy. There is joy. Whenever you're serving the body of Christ with the gifts that God's given you, there's joy. When you realize what he's done for us and given to us and that we can never be separated from him, that's joy. Whenever you know you're pleasing him, that's joy. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he's spoken all these things about how the Father has given us to his Son, how he has given us eternal life, how that we have now heard God's own words. We're no longer ignorant about God. We know God. How our Father is keeping us, guarding us like a treasure for his Son, guaranteeing our eternal life. Jesus says he's spoken all these things that we might have his joy made full in us his joy because he knows that his labor for the father is not in vain he knows that salvation is not up for grabs he knows that every sinner that the father has given to him will come to him he will pay for all the sins of every sinner that was given to him they will hear the gospel they will believe the gospel they will be with him forever. He will have a full count. Like Eric said, not one seat missing and nobody standing. A full count right there. And he knows he'll soon be home with his father forever in glory. That's his joy. And he says, I want that joy, my joy, to be fully in them That's us. Us who have been separated from the world by grace. Separated to God by grace. For us who will never know God's wrath. All we'll ever know is him working all things together for good for us. That we will know him. That we will enjoy him forever. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for us. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Stand up with me, please. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are dismissed in his joy.